Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So my next guest is somebody that you're going to want to listen to carefully. Uh, part, part of the interview was done while Mark was on the road. So there is a little bit of a whir in the background, but please bear, bear with us. There's some really good stuff here. Mark's uh, producer, he's a documentarian. He was a journalist for 25 years. He's working on a PhD right now, working very closely with the UN. Uh, just back from Paris, from the uh, summit. Uh, the climate uh, summit, I guess you call it the Paris Climate Summit. How's that? The PCS, COP21. And he was a producer on a film that was directed by Ray Kokur called The Youth Climate Report 6. It's a part of a film series. And uh, Mark Mark, and I get into a lot of stuff. I got to tell you, we, we, we talk about uh, the ozone layer. We talk about reasons to get involved and about adaptation over mitigation. Um, we talked about this whole notion of cultivating courage with respect to uh, what I guess many are calling the hopeless data. Mark's a good guy. You're going to enjoy this. We are going to do a part two, so stay tuned. Don't forget to check out uh, David Peck live.com uh, for more information about podcasts and my books and a variety of other interesting and or non-related things. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a special guest today, uh, producer Mark Terry. He's also a PhD candidate. Uh, he's working at York U- University. He works closely with the United Nations Environment Program and most of us probably can tell he's clearly driving on the road right now. Mark, thank you uh, for joining us today in transit. No problem, David. Thanks for having me. 
So Mark is um, just freshly back from the Paris Climate uh, Summit uh, uh, that is actually still uh, going on, uh, uh, pushing a film, advocating on behalf of uh, the environment and, and, and uh, the little things making a big difference, and pushing a film that he produced, directed by Ray Coker, called Youth Climate Report 6. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that um, film, but we're also going to talk, I think, about the implications. Mark, can you give us a, I don't know, maybe just give us a quick short overview to, uh, about the film. I mean, obviously, I want to talk about the conference a little bit. I mean, I've got lots of questions around the film as well, but uh, congratulations, first of all. It's a beautiful piece. Uh, oh, and Yeah, and very compelling. And I think it's it's one of those needs-to-be-seen-by-everybody kind of films. Yeah, well, the, the whole um, idea of the concept of the Youth Final Report film series is uh, is basically to provide in uh, visual format the latest climate research from around the world to the delegates and negotiators that attend the COP conferences to give them some kind of visual context about the science of writing policy about. So um, it began, uh, well, six versions ago, so back to 2009, when um, we put together the first one and presented that at, uh, at one of the COP conferences, the um, delegates negotiators found they could understand it um, a lot easier than they could understand the written text written by the same scientists who are uh, represented in the film. So the other component to all this is we have young people, that's why it's called the Youth Climate Report, young people as the filmmakers. These are the students, usually of the uh, climate change makers or scientists um, that are being interviewed in the film, and they work with them, and, and they'll actually do the interview, and they'll shoot it, and they'll send it to us, and we have a youth uh, director, Ray Coker, a young man himself, who will um, take those interviews and uh, edit them and add some B-roll for additional visual context and stream them together in, in a feature film that's usually about 45 minutes long. And so where can where can people access this kind of stuff? I mean, obviously, I, I got to watch the film on YouTube. Is there, a, is there a UN site that kind of hosts all of these films, or are they just all accessible through, through something as simple as YouTube? Yeah, well, there is a, um, uh, the UN website for the conference, um, so if you go directly to UNEP.org, that's the United Nations Environment Program, UNEP.org, uh, what you'll see on their landing page is um, a little square that says videos. And there's um, uh, arrow bars that go back and forth in this little square. Just keep advancing until you find Youth Climate Report 6. The entire film has been uploaded there, and you can watch it from there. So, Mark, the film starts with a scientist, presumably an academic of a sort, talking about um, the caterpillar and the butterfly yeah. and the life of this, you know, beautiful insect and so on, and the, the sort of the, the, the microcosm that is the butterfly and the caterpillar. And then, for me, you know, really interesting from my perspective as a philosopher, ta starts talking about the concept of enough. Right. And this idea, you know, well, you know, if I say to you, well, how much is enough? And really the answer is enough, but it's, it's so, it's, it's all about perspective and we're not caterpillars <laughs> no. and we're not butterflies. So, 
how do you how do you come to terms with that? How do you how do you even begin to discuss that in in, in a world that seems to be uh, very unclear about what enough actually means? Yeah. Well, there's been an awful lot of anthropomorphization. I have trouble with that word, but. <laughs> Um, when you look at all kinds of examples in fables and, and moral tales and the, the caterpillar um, uh, example given in the film is actually quite a good one uh, in explaining how we should be treating um, our lives and, and the climate issue. The, the concept of enough is simply that once we've acquired um, that which we need, we really shouldn't be pursuing more. You know, um, the caterpillar takes just what he needs in order to begin his own metamorphosis into a butterfly, and, um, and then he becomes this beautiful thing and, and lives a, a wonderful life. Um, I think our desire to have more than our neighbor, or even more than what we feel we need, um, gives us this, this, uh, this problem, this global problem, that impacts on the other people around us. So I, I think the, the idea, the message that uh, the scientist gives is that we should simply be happy with getting by and, and having enough and, and not trying to keep trying to get more. And yet, and yet we both know, I mean, you don't have to be a, a PhD candidate to know that that's, I mean, that's kind of, we're a long way away from that, it seems to me. Uh, oh, when, yeah. you know, when, you know, as we go into the Christmas season and, and as we start to think about, you know, materialism and, and just consumption as a whole, instead of thinking yeah. about, you know, what Christmas really is all about, you know, generosity and gifts and so on and, and all these other things, it becomes this, this, uh, uh getting the acquisition of more goods. How's that, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and that, that has nothing to do with enough. So I, I guess, yeah. I guess, you know, you start to film out that way. And then as, as Ray directs it and, and as you edit it, we start to, you know, we hear more about what's going on in the world. We get a little bit of the science, we get some new statistics. I mean, I mean, what is it really about? Is it, is it about convincing people with numbers? Is it about, about getting people to buy in from a more hopeful kind of perspective that says, I got to leave the world in a, in a better place than I found it? Because I, I love all that. But hey, I'm on your side already. Uh, you know, what, what do you do with the guys that aren't, aren't, aren't you know, on, on your side? Well, that's right. And, and a, lot, a lot of the discussions at uh, these COP conferences uh, surround the debate between adaptation versus mitigation. Mm. You know, um, have we gone too far? Is is the horse already out of the barn? You know, like, um, do we have to simply adapt to the climate disaster that we caused? Um, or is there a way, by acknowledging new data, to um, affect a change that will bring things back to normal? And um, it's always been a, a bit of a boat in this debate. And and a very interesting thing that I, I see vis-a-vis -vis that enough uh, concept we were talking about before is a, a lot of the um, uh, larger developed nations um, make a contribution financially to the lesser developed nations um, in the form of a fund that they can draw from in order to implement mm -hmm. some of the resolutions that come out of these uh, conferences that they couldn't uh, afford to implement themselves. So 
some of these larger nations will um, earmark a certain amount of millions or billions to this fund, and that's very admirable. We look at that here in Canada and say, that's great, wonderful. But then there's some people that say, well, just a second now, why give the money to these, these underdeveloped nations when we could use that money right here at home to take care of our own people? Mm. So it's really interesting to hear that debate because um, the second part of it is usually not a consideration at all, you know, Um, but there still is some dissent among people that don't necessarily want to, you know, give away too much money to other countries when they feel there is a need at home. And there, there is some truth to that, but not in this particular case, because the climate change issue is so large and serious that we all have to dig deep into our pockets, uh, metaphorically and financially, in order to um, to help out the world in this case. That's why we get together through the United Nations. Well, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, and this clearly comes out in the film, and and I love the the interdependent like relational quality of the film i think it's lovely and wonderful and i think it's absolutely where we need to head and and we need we need to start treating each other a little better it seems to me right and 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 on on so many levels right mark i mean this isn't just about the environment this is about economically this is relationally this is within our families you know at the risk of sounding like an incredible idealist i uh, and i'm okay with that uh, I really do think that's that's what this is all about. I mean, we're 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 all connected. We're all in this together. Now the question is, how the hell do we convince those who 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 aren't in agreement to say, you know what, maybe this is a little worse than I had originally thought. Yeah, and uh, and that's where um, the data comes into play uh, when they actually see the films that we. Uh, present at these conferences and when they read the latest data, they, they get this um, eye-opening moment when they kind of realize, oh boy, this is worse than what we thought. You know, it might even be too late. So let's go full steam ahead. And, and Mark, and Mark, do you, do you have examples yourself of, of seeing people having those kinds of aha moments where, where, where they have been sort of, the, 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 the scales have been peeled peel back to say, wow, I had no idea, or I'm a, I'm a believer now, or, you know, (laughs) sign me up. How do I get involved? Or do you find a lot of these conferences, a lot of these types of initiatives are really about people preaching to, you know, preaching to the converted basically. Yeah, there, there is an awful lot of that. I don't think there's many people attending these conferences that, that need to be convinced or turned into believers, but as far as the actions that need to be taken and the responsibilities of individual nations, um, the the data that surprises them motivates them to take that step they were previously reluctant to do. Right. Yeah. And um, but like you look at Quebec, there's a wonderful story coming out of Paris this year about how um, uh, the premier of Quebec has allocated six million dollars Canadian. To, um, to this lesser developed nation fund. Hmm. And it's the very first time in the history of the world that a subnational government has made a significant financial contribution to something like this. And uh, we can be very proud here in Canada that Quebec has led the way to do it. 
Well, and I think, you know, and, and another, and a, a, to me, another theme that comes out of the film is that this, this isn't about, this isn't about necessarily following the crowd. This is about, uh, this is about leadership. This is about creativity. This is about, you know, taking some risks and saying, we've got to do things differently in order to make a long-term sustainable change. Yeah. Yes, or, or that change will be made for us. You know, like uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago when the world went through a similar uh, climate change disaster, if you will, um, there wasn't any um, people or reporters or historians around at the time uh, to record the devastating changes that were made on a global scale. So even though this has happened before, um, we don't seem to have a sense of impending doom because we don't have any historical precedent to hang our hat on it. So I, I think that's one of the, the problems is we don't really know how bad it's going to be until our home is underwater, for example. And and do you think, Mark, that there's a sense in which, um, I mean, I probably suffer from this and, and I would not call myself uh, uh, an innovative free marketer in this sense where you know, innovation is going to, to, to save the world. Uh, I do believe innovation is, is the way forward, no matter what field you're working in, no matter what sector you're working in. But at the same time, I don't think we can continue living the way we're living and there, and then innovation is going to save us along the way. Does, does that make sense? That question? I mean, it's kind of a statement and a question at the same time, but I guess what I'm saying is I think there's a whole group of people out there who think, it doesn't really matter. We're, you know, the, 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 the free market is going to provide a solution for us. Yeah, I, I don't think the free market will provide the solution. It might provide several small solutions. But what we really have to look at for an issue like this is um, it's not simply coming up with an innovative new way to continue what we're doing, but to reassess what we're doing and mm. decide if we still need to do it. And um, a perfect example is um, uh, the Montreal Protocol. Do you remember that? Uh, back in the 80s. This is um, um, a United Nations gathering that was called to deal with the big environmental issue of the day, and that was the ozone hole. And um, specifically, what was causing it? It was another man-made contribution known as chlorofluorocarbon, mm-hmm. uh, at the time known as CFC. And um, science introduced the problem, uh, explained it very well, and uh, all the nations of the world understood that it was um, the the discharge of these CFCs into the atmosphere that was actually um, dissolving the ozone gas uh, in the high stratosphere, and that was causing a hole. And the problem with the hole, of course, is that it'll it doesn't filter out any of the harmful UV rays that comes from the sun. There's actually seven of them. We only get like one and a half here, and we lather ourselves with a sunscreen to protect ourselves from that. Well, when all seven come through, it would just cook us, right? So um, because they understood the problem, they took a very bold move and said, there's a now a global ban on CFCs. Mm. We're going to stop doing things the way we've always done them, and we're not going to allow this propellant in, in hairspray, for example, to, um, to be legal anymore. 
and, and it was also the very first time that every nation of the world unilaterally signed an environmental agreement. Mm. And the scientists at the time said, in about 50 years, you're going to see uh, the hole start to repair itself. And so everybody said, okay, you know, we're late 50 years, but we can still fix this. And um, when I was in Antarctica in uh, 2009, on January 9th, there's a measuring state, uh, station there called uh, Vernatsky Station, and they have an ozone spectrophotometer that measures the... What's, hang on, hang on, that's a funny word. What's it called? An ozone spectrophotometer. Sounds like something right out of Ghostbusters. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah but yeah. If, you, if you break it down, the words are actually quite simple. Spectro, photo, meter. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. For us dummies in the room, yep. <laughs> and so uh, what they've been measuring ever since the ozone hole first um, was identified um, is an increase in size on a weekly basis. It kept getting bigger every week. Well, on January 9, 2009, I was there when they measured the very first reduction in size. Hmm. And it's been kind of shrinking ever since. It fluctuates, of course, a bit. But definitely there is a, um, a reaction to the, um, the ban on CFCs. And we're 25 years ahead of schedule as far as the scientists were concerned. So I see that as an excellent precedent for us to take similar bold moves this year. Well, and I mean, even, you know, obviously people are going to cry cause and effect, or they're going to say, well, hang on a second. And just because that's happened, it doesn't mean it had just to do with the fact that I no longer use a spray can deodorant and use a stick instead. However, uh, it, to me, it's, it's absolutely a symbol and a metaphor and all of that for saying, hang on a second here, we, we can do some of this stuff together and we can make a difference. Yeah. And, and just even on a very foundational level, um, the fact that the world leaders listened to the scientific community on an environmental issue and did something that no one wanted to do. Mm. Industry and business at the time said, no, we're going to lose a fortune, you know, but they still did it. It was a tough thing to do, but every single nation of the world agreed to do it. What do you, you know, Mark, I mean, so here I was at York University yesterday and I was listening in <laughs> yeah. on some, um, some, uh, uh, lectures basically on, um, I've, I've been connected to an economics class up there, undergraduate students who are looking at foreign direct investment and CSR like initiatives in Southeast Asia, primarily Cambodia. And so I'm kind of this exterior, uh, academic slash guy coming in, uh, under my so change umbrella to sort of offer some assistance and just, you know, uh, another, another perspective, et cetera. So, I, I listened to six, uh, probably 12 talks altogether, and six that were related to the notion of CSR, charitable giving, these kinds of things. All of them seemed to be very idealistic, very hopeful, you know, in their presentations and their way forward, even their definitions of what, you know, corporate social responsibility is really all about. I mean, yeah. isn't that kind of what we're talking about here? Aren't we talking about an ethic of the other? Aren't we talking about an ethic of the environment or, or, or um, a, a way of seeing the world that, that, that gets outside of our own backyard, that gets about us out onto the street to say, holy smokes, everything I do does in fact affect somebody or something else? Yes, exactly. And I think that's what most of the delegates um, that I met in Paris, they have that sensibility. They do have that kind of understanding that this is not an issue of nations. It's a, an issue of the world. 
and and because of that, they're taking a different approach. They're they're not looking at whether or not my province or state can afford a new factory, or you know, they're not looking at it that way. That they're saying, what kind of contribution uh, can we make, or what kind of legislation can we put in place internationally that will help um, on a global scale? What are some of the um... What are some of the arguments that you've used? You know, I bet you found yourself at Christmas gatherings or dinner parties <laughs> where, yeah. you know, people have challenged you. And yeah, but come on, Mark. I mean, this is, you know, isn't this just a lot of hype? Uh, isn't this just a lot of bad science? Uh, you know, I mean, really, are, 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 you know, who are you trying to kid kind of a thing? You know, have you had to deal with that personally? And, and if you have... Yeah. How do you respond? Like, what you know? Are there are there some tools that we can use? You know, to to yeah. to move the conversation along? Because obviously, you know, data and stats are helpful, but I think it really is what what you know what hit me about watching the film. Mark was, it's very much an emotional argument. That's that's what's got to be won here. It's 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 not the logical. I don't think anyway, we, we, we gotta, you know, as, as trying to raise funds for, for people in the global South and for initiatives and campaigns, it's really about the emotive buy-in, you know, um, uh, when people start to say, oh, I want to get involved. I want to volunteer. I want to help. I want to advocate. I want to donate. Yes. And, um, and, and what I found is, uh, you have to respect the other side, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. just dismissing them categorically saying, well, you ignorant idiot, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's important to kind of understand why they, they don't know or they, they don't agree. And, and when you find out what holes are existing, um, then it's a little easier to fill them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what I found was, you know, you can't just say, look at a data chart and it'll all make sense to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> because often, and this is the the problem a lot of the negotiators had in previous years is they don't understand the science. They're not scientists. Yep. And, yep. and a squiggly line go up like a Wall Street um, cartoon chart, you know, um, isn't good enough. And they look outside the window and say, well, it doesn't seem any hotter and, you know, the water isn't rising, so it doesn't look that bad to me. And then um, I introduce my experience my correct experience with the issue. Mm. And, and that usually um, uh, kinds of, it tends to sway them because um, I've been to um, the polar regions um, and experienced what was happening up there firsthand. And strange things like um, grass growing in Antarctica, mm. which uh, if you Google Antarctica or look at the Wikipedia page, it's referred to as the world's largest desert. But wow. uh, that need, it needs to be updated because <laughs> grass is growing there now. And um, in the Arctic, we're getting Caribbean marine life swooping up into the Northwest Passage and, um, and flourishing. And that's never happened before either. And, of course, we're getting um, a different kind of melting of land ice. Uh, it's no longer a, a trickle effect with the, the ice turning into liquid and adding to the world sea levels, now we're getting enormous chunks of ice discharge from glaciers. Uh, and that's accelerating the sea level rise issue, you know, astronomically. Because these chunks of ice, some of them are as big as five times the size of Manhattan. 
and and when I tell them that I've actually seen this, I've actually stood on these giant icebergs. They're not called icebergs; they're called ice islands because they're yeah. that big. Yeah. And then then people begin to see that that there is a real uh, tactile um, measurement that helps helps them understand the issue. And I think that's the problem is they need to see. They're, everybody's from Missouri. They have to you know, show me the, the problem. And, and that's where the films come in because we're able to show these catastrophic dynamic uh, events that, that put a, a, a context of reality on the issue. So, so tell me, um, we're, we're going to have to wrap up here in a few minutes, and I hope we can do a part two uh, in the near future, maybe, maybe early 2016, we can talk a little bit more about some of the details and some of the implications, and maybe even more of how people can get involved. But, but, but Mark, somebody in the film uh, referred to this notion of, quote, a dynamic incentive to innovate close quote. What, you know, role of government, role of business, role of the individual. Can you talk about that for a second? About what that, what, what, what does that mean? What is a dynamic incentive to innovate? I think it means, um, just to put it in another, you know, obtuse term, it means to uh, cultivate courage. I, I think we have to say that this is an issue worth um, doing the kinds of things we wouldn't ordinarily do that we need to take that courageous step in um, uh, totally changing the way we do things, uh, perhaps banning things that we've come to feel we uh, rely on, or um, developing business uh, with a different model uh, that helps not just the business, but also uh, society. And, and these are big moves. And because they haven't been done before, it requires some kind of dynamic force, some internal courage um, in order to implement them uh, because it's the right thing to do. You sound you sound pretty hopeful. You've been doing this kind of work for a long time. You've been a, a 25-year career as a journalist and a documentary filmmaker. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're going after a PhD. You're working alongside the UN Environment Program. Why... Why are you still smiling? <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny you say that because I've been told that so or asked that so many times. That I guess I'm just a happy guy. No, it's um, because I think with that frame of mind, things get done. I think if you go into this pessimistically or, or looking at, the, at the, the so-called hopeless data and say, well, there's nothing we can do, you can still be uh, positive about adaptive moves, you know, that there are things that can be done. And if you don't have that kind of positive mindset going into it, guaranteed nothing's going to happen. You know, Wayne Gretzky has a famous quote that I often use, uh, you are guaranteed never to score on every shot you do not take. And uh, I think when it comes to uh, the climate change issue, it's worth taking a shot. 
Mark, thanks thanks a lot for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I hope you're closer to your destination, uh, wherever it is you're going uh, tonight. But uh, Mark Terry, he's the producer of a new 45-minute uh, film, so there's no excuse for you not to watch this film, directed by Ray Kakur. Uh, it's the Youth Climate Report 6. It's part of a UN film series produced by Mark Terry. Uh, he's joined us here today uh, on the road and on Face to Face. Thanks a lot for your time today, Mark. I really appreciate it. Oh, hey. Just, yeah. bef just before you give us your thank you, uh, why don't you sign off with, uh, once again, how people can find the film easily. Okay, the, the film um, can be found uh, on YouTube. It's called Youth Climate Report 6 or on the um, unep.org website, unep.org, uh, under video. And just use the little um, arrow bars to scroll through and find Youth Climate Report 6. Mark, really appreciate uh, your time today. Thank Ray for me personally for his direction. It's an important film. Everybody needs to see it. Uh, Mark Terry, thanks, thanks for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, David. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com <laughs> <laughs> 